good morning. Let's go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 3 and pick up on a thought we were talking about last time. <clears throat> we're going to be in chapter 3 starting uh, really in, uh, in verse 6, but we're going to go ahead and start in verse 5 reading the passage this morning where, uh, again, we looked at this part yesterday. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And we talked about that last time, but the thought really continues. On account of these, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as last time we looked at the idea of putting to death those things within us that are other than that which God is working within us. Uh, those things that represent earthly or flesh or worldly kinds of mindsets and attitudes, things that are within us. Um, Paul equates that idea with the idea of sort of, uh, in the first place, putting that to death, not allowing a part of it to fester, not allowing a root of it to come up. It's interesting that in Hebrews it says, don't let a root of bitterness spring up. The idea of of letting this thing f sort of germinate under the surface and then ultimately it brings expression. Well, in the same way, these things within us, uh, as he talks about here, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, these things may start with desires on the inside, but eventually they have the not only propensity, but they pretty much for sure will in some way or another uh, find their way out in our lives. Well, we need to put that to death. That needs to die with the old man. As a matter of fact, the image of baptism is exactly that, the idea of that public declaration that I belong to Christ uh, in baptism, the idea of putting the old man down to death under the water as if to bury it and then rising to new life. Uh, and, and here Paul is is speaking about something quite similar actually, putting to death the old man and its passions and desires, and instead putting on the new self. In other words, we have put on the new self if in fact we're believers, like he says to the Corinthians. You know, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old, all things, uh, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Well, let's look at the passage here with that mindset, as that is the picture that Paul is, uh, or the, uh, the, the idea that Paul is conveying here. First off, verse 6, on account of these, what? Sexual morality, impurity, evil desire, passion, covetousness, these things that, uh, that, that ultimately are a kind of idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, So there will be judgment on the earth. We understand this. If you read the book of Revelation, you know there's a time coming when God will pronounce judgments upon the earth. And one fundamental undercurrent that, that is the reason for that is that those who are on the earth at that time, those who have rejected God, are in fact uh, living with something or someone else on the throne in their lives. During that period of time, there is the Antichrist who will demand to be worshipped above all that is called God, as Paul says uh, to the Thessalonians. The idea that there is one who will draw the worship and adoration of the people of the world, so much so that they'll actually stand against the Lord. 
Well, in that season, in that time, as God is wrapping up human history, what we're seeing is not only God's judgment, that is the predominant feature of that period of time that we see, but close behind that, the, the other predominant feature that, um, or the other feature that uh, truly characterizes that time is the rebellious mindset and attitude that people have uh, against God during that time, in part because they are rallying behind the Antichrist as God is bringing judgment down upon the world, which means they are tying their cart to that horse and by definition, therefore, are not following after God. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry, uh, and other things that he'll talk about here, evil kinds of practices. That's what it looks like when these things are not put to death but are allowed to flourish. And unfortunately, at the very you know, conclusion of that, you've got people that have rejected God. This is what it looks like, but ultimately they face judgment, not just on the earth as God brings judgment on the earth, but ultimately when they stand before him at the white throne, at the great white throne. And so this is what is characteristic of those outside of Christ. However, the believer has put on a new self. He's a new creation in Christ. When I say he, obviously I'm uh, saying he and she. Anyone who comes to faith and believes is a new person in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, matter of fact, behold, kind of conveys the idea of come take a look, check this out. All things have become new, okay? In other words, belonging to Christ is not just a Sunday practice. It's not just um, once in a while I read my Bible and I'm better than some people that are really bad sinners, but I'm generally a pretty good person and I believe in God and sort of this generic kind of thing. No, being a Christian means that your life is now hidden, as Paul said earlier, hidden with, uh, in Christ, with Christ in God. In other words, you belong fully to him. He is, uh, he's not only enveloped you, but you have embraced him as well, and you've given him that place now to be the Lord of your life. And so therefore, he begins to work in you and change you from the inside out. And those things that characterized you before no longer characterize you now doesn't mean you don't ever sin, doesn't mean you don't ever do any of these things, but that is not the, uh, the pattern of the life of a believer. Uh, twice Jesus spoke in the Gospels about the idea of judging a tree by its fruit. Uh, if I'm remembering, not getting them mixed up, in Matthew, he's talking about false prophets and you can judge a tree by its fruit. So in that context, the idea of false uh, judging a tree by its fruit means you can judge a false prophet by false prophecies. In Luke, he talks about the idea of judging a tree by its fruit, but it's not attached particularly to false prophecy. He's now using it in a much broader sense, which means the Holy Spirit is wanting us to understand that you can judge a tree by its fruit means that the fruit of a life, the fruit of a, of a worldview, the fruit of, of what makes a person who they are becomes evident in the way they live their lives. And so Paul is speaking to that idea here, where again, he, in verse 7 says, In these two you once walked. This was characteristic of you. You did live in that place. That was what you were made of. But now, verse 8, okay? But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with his practices. Okay, so let me point to two things here. As we said yesterday, the transformation of a person from darkness to life, the transition of that person from unbeliever to believer is, is, the, uh, is, the, is, is the, the change of a moment. In other words, when you come to faith, you positionally become someone different than you were. You go from being a child of darkness to being a child 
of light, of being a follower of all that is, uh, uh, well, maybe don't do every single thing that's evil, but ultimately you're, you are following Satan in that point. You're walking in a way contrary to God. Well, there's only two paths you really go on. Satan's has many little offshoots and branches, but it's essentially a particular direction. And likewise, following Jesus, as he said, is a narrow road that leads to everlasting life. You have moved from that road to this road. And so this is what it used to be. And that is something that changes when you put your trust in Jesus. You are now saved. You are born again. You are a believer in Christ. Your eternal destiny has been changed. However, uh, there is also this whole matter of living still in this body of flesh that I have, uh, having to go through every day, uh, knowing that there is temptation lying at the door, wanting to trip me up and lead me into different um, you know, kinds of uh, sin and that kind of thing, promoting backslide and these kinds of things. Um, my, my salvation is secure. My eternity is in his hands and no one can snatch me out. But I am still capable of walking in a way that does not really reflect that and certainly doesn't honor the Lord. And so when it comes to our sanctification, okay, we were just talking about salvation. Now we're talking about sanctification or the idea of being continually set apart further and further, more deeply and more deeply uh, entrenched in that life that reflects what God has done, not only in saving you, but in making you more like Jesus. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Um, and this is his desire for us. Matter of fact, um, let's turn right uh, and head over to Paul's writings to the Thessalonians. Uh, and in particular, I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, and he's talking to the Thessalonians. In these two brief letters, we realize that Paul, in the three weeks that he was there, the three Sabbaths worth of time that he spent there, as we read about in the book of Acts, um, in that brief time, he talked about lots of topics, including last day's events. We get a lot of what we understand about the condition of the world at the time of Antichrist leading up to the rapture and the return of Christ. Um, from Paul's writing these brief letters. And so that being said, they're rich for lots of reasons, but notice in, in chapter four, uh, uh, verse three in particular. I'll encourage you to read the whole chapter in that, but let me just pull a verse here to kind of um, um, explain Paul's view on this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, and go and so on, because the Lord is an avenger and such. And so Paul's encouragement to believers is that being new creations in Christ, that they choose not to walk in ways that they once walked. He said that there in Thess uh, to the Thessalonians. He says it here back in, in, uh, in Colossians as well. The idea here is that there is a moment in which we're saved and the ongoing sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit, but we are not without our part when it comes to taking up our cross daily and following after him. This is not legalism. This is the choice of walking with God intentionally as opposed to having fire insurance, being saved and then not really giving God the space that he wants to have in our lives to change us and make us more like Jesus which is what sanctification is all about, making us more like him who saved us. And so when we talk about the life of a Christian or sanctification or the daily walk of a believer following after Jesus or walking in obedience, things like this, 
We're not talking about putting some heavy trip on anybody. What we're talking about is the natural expression of a life that is given over to Jesus. Uh, remember again, he said earlier here in, in uh, Colossians chapter three, he talked about how you once walked in sexual immor- immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This was the pattern of your life outside of Christ. In other words, that was the natural fruit of being lost. Well, now you're found. Now you're a child of God. And so there should naturally be fruit from this. And Jesus again says, you can tell a tree by its fruit. If somebody is saying they're a Christian, but there is no evidence of it, you shouldn't rest so sure that that person really knows the Lord. Uh, that can be dangerous. They may have just sort of said a prayer somewhere, uh, which can be very dangerous. You know, they, they just say a prayer, they think they're fine, but there's never any investment in helping them walk with Jesus. Remember what the Great Commission was, not to go out and make converts, but to go out and make disciples. Now, a disciple is somebody who's a follower of Jesus, but it doesn't stop with just simply saying a prayer or saying, well, I believe in Jesus, and then just, okay, fine. We never really go any further than that. No, discipleship means learning how to follow Jesus. It speaks of, uh, of walking in his ways and becoming like him. It's the very definition of what a disciple is. And so it's not a heavy legal trip to say that if we, follow, if, if we say we follow Jesus, it should look like it. That should just be a natural understood thing. And so um, I like to put it this way. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Uh, that's the way I tend to express that idea, clumsy as though it might be. The idea that God loves us and doesn't want to leave us walking in ways that are not only displeasing to him, but anything that is displeasing to him is probably also dangerous for us. And if we claim to be believers, if we want to follow Jesus, then that means taking up our cross, dying to self daily. Uh, There's commitment involved in that. And it's always a very uncomfortable thing when somebody says they want to believe in Jesus or they say they believe in Jesus, but they never really have any personal investment in growing in their relationship with him. Um, you know, it's, uh, I've told this story at church a number of times. Um, there's an elderly couple sitting at their table in front of the TV. Uh, there's a little table in between the two chairs as they watch TV every night. They've done this for 60 years. This is the pattern of their life. Well, one day the missus looks to the mister and says, how come you never tell me you love me anymore? And he just kind of stops, thinks about it for a second. And he turns to her and says, you know, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Well, nobody would like that, right? I mean, that's that's not really an expression of love. That's That's sort of not really investing in that relationship, which you claim to be in a love relationship, right? Well, if we're in a love relationship, that means that we're invested in it. We're wanting to know that person better. We're wanting to pour ourselves into that relationship and both give and receive in a very natural, right kind of way. And so when it comes to our relationship with Christ, it's really not much different than that. He pours himself into helping us grow and strong in our faith and to become more like him. And we, in turn, surrender. And we say, Lord, have your way in me. Holy Spirit, please find those pockets in my heart that are kind of like closed closets and open them and dust them out and and, uh, expose light in there to let me know if something needs to go. Why? Because I know that Jesus wants all of me and I want to give myself wholly to him. That's a healthy Christian relationship. And so when we talk about what we once were, and it makes perfect sense, we didn't know Jesus, Well, likewise, those things should no longer really be true of us as a pattern. Again, can a Christian sin? Sure. But is that the pattern of their life? Not really. Not really. 
It's not a matter of like someone being better than someone else. This is a matter of saying, I care enough about my relationship with Christ to invest in it. That's just what we would do with any relationship we have. So why should it be any less in our relationship with Jesus? And again, he said, you must put these things away. Anger, right? The idea of, of that mindset of just uh, being so quick to just have vitriol towards something or somebody and that kind of a thing. It's a mindset, it's an attitude. Um, not only that, but wrath, the idea of wanting to get vengeance and that kind of a thing, to want to get even when you've been wronged. Malice, hatred, uh, a murderous kind of a hatred. Slander, speaking ill of people and that kind of a thing. Or speaking ill of God, but speaking ill of people is probably what he has in mind here. Obscene talk. You know, in uh, Ephesians 4, let your speech be seasoned with grace that it may build up the hearers, right? Well, the idea of, of obscene talk is the opposite of that. It's, it's disgusting. It's not building up. It's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, that in this particular time would be spoken of in dark corners or in, uh, you know, in uh, seedy kinds of environments and that. In our day and age, there's there's no shame whatsoever and so obscenity and obscene kinds of talk un, unspeakable kinds of things are often spoken in our day and, and here the scriptures teach us that this is not really becoming of a christian uh and this kind of talk from your mouth don't lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self in other words be honest doesn't mean that this is your license to go ahead and cut people down because you're just being honest, you know. But the idea of speaking with integrity and honesty, not being somebody who is seeking to deceive, uh, but being honest in your word. When you give your word, people believe you because you tell the truth and that. You're not somebody who is prone to being deceptive and that kind of thing. And don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Again, the idea of putting it off like a garment with its practices. In other words, there is the change inwardly with the expression outwardly those things have been taken off and instead we have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator uh, it's kind of like uh, having your brain rinsed out having your mind rinsed out of all the muck and filth and dirt and just being left with this clean perspective way of thinking you know, your worldview has changed. You see things the way they're intended to be seen and not, uh, you don't think about things through the lens of, of, uh, of a cloudy lens and that kind of a thing anymore, but it's been renewed. Um, you know, in uh, turn to Romans chapter 12 really quick here too. This really relates to what we're talking about and it's one of my favorite passages of scripture, but Romans 12 verses one and two. Again, Paul is speaking here. Uh, let me encourage you, by the way, read Paul's letters. I mean, read the whole Bible. I'm, no, I'm a proponent of studying all of the scripture, but spend a lot of time in Paul's writings. They're exceptionally practical. They're deeply theological, richly theological. Um, and, and Paul also has this wonderful capacity to allow theology to move naturally into doxology. In other words, the idea of studying the deep things of, of knowing God and, and, and upon arriving on some of those understandings, just naturally worshiping at the grandness and wonder of who God is. Well, Paul does that, and you experience that as you read through um, many of his writings. Well, here in chapter 12 uh, of Romans, Paul says here in verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, and the word appeal there means to beg or to beseech, uh, you therefore brothers and speaking of sisters as well by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice present your body 
okay, your physical person. It's not just a thought life, but your body is handed over to him as well as a living sacrifice, he says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service of worship is what's, what's uh, ultimately being said in the Greek there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, Being conformed to the world will never bring you to that place of that elevated thinking, that, 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 that rich, deep, meaningful, and high, lofty place of, of, of dwelling with God and thinking on things on that level. Not, a, not like we think like just like God does because he's perfect, but we're brought to this place of understanding things from the heights rather than from the depths. And so uh, when we are conformed to the world, that never happens. But through the transforming of our minds, right, the renewing of our minds by transformation, the idea of God taking hold of things and again, cleansing, washing out as we spend time in his word, as we're in fellowship, as we pray, as we do those things that encourage healthy growth, we find ourselves being transformed further and further into the image of Christ and further and further away from those things that used to define who we were. So back in Colossians uh, chapter 3, uh, in verse 10 there, uh, we've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Now in this particular passage, there is certainly the truth that in the body of Christ there are no longer ethnic or national or, or you know, men and women distinctions, but we're all equal in the eyes of God in that way. That is certainly a truth that can be taken from this. But in the context of what he's talking about here, he's talking about anyone from any background can come to Christ and know him this way. Anyone can come and be saved. In other places like Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, he talks about breaking the wall uh, down of separation in his flesh, breaking down the wall of separation uh, between Jew and Gentile and that kind of thing, making one body. Uh, and so there we speak more to the theological truth of breaking down barriers between groups and bringing them together under the body uh, in, within the, the context of the church, the body of Christ. Here that's definitely true, but the larger point is that anyone can come and know God this way and be transformed into the image of Christ, can leave behind those things that define us as being lost and sinners that are outside the grace of God and then being moved into that place of being a child of God under the grace of God. And this is open to anyone who will come, regardless of whether you are a Greek or a Jew, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're a barbarian, a Scythian, whether you're a slave or a freedman, uh, Christ is all and in all. And so therefore we can, wherever we come from, wherever you're watching from, wherever you're listening from, whatever your background was, the door is open for you to come and receive and be changed. And so uh, it's just such a lofty, beautiful truth to consider. And it's good that we spend time going through these things and considering them and allowing these ideas to really have room to breathe as we look at them. Um, uh, we, sh we should never be satisfied to simply read through a chapter of the scripture and just walk away without stopping to think through what those things 
really mean? Comparing scripture with scripture, understanding the context, obviously. We want to make sure that we're not just picking and choosing verses and making them say what we want. Because when we do, we don't get this out of it. But when we read the passage and we consider what Paul is saying to these believers, a pastor, to those who he's uh, writing this letter to, fellow believers together enjoying these things in Christ together, uh, somebody much like a father figure longing for his spiritual children, he didn't know these people particularly, but he was investing in them much like a father would, that they might come to understand like he does. Um, these are rich and meaningful things for us, and through the centuries that have passed, they've become no less so. And so uh, let me commend these scriptures to you and invite you to pray about them, to think about them, to read the passage over again, and read continuing through as we'll pick up there again uh, either next time or in a, a soon podcast. We'll pick up and continue through the letter and these ideas that he continues to develop. So anyway, my prayer is that God would take his word and allow it to just ultimately accomplish a good purpose within us. We know it doesn't return void. It accomplishes what he sent it set forth to do. But my prayer is that in each one of our hearts, that that would ultimately bear tremendous fruit uh, as, it, as we become more and more like Jesus. So Father, we just want to come before you and pray that you would cleanse our minds, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our attitudes, wash us clean of these things that, Father, we might just give space for you to make us more and mold us more into the image of Christ. Father, for those of us who are saved, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, but maybe have gotten to a place where we're not really growing in our faith, where we're not really uh, finding it to be an important thing to invest in our relationship with Christ, Father, change our minds about that. Help us to recognize the value of it. Uh, help us to do those things that uh, that make for healthy growth, spending time daily in the Word of God, being in fellowship with other believers that we can both give and receive from and help to grow in our mutual faith. Uh, help us to be in prayer. Remind us of the importance of this. And, uh, and ultimately, again, Lord, let it bring the fruit that you desire in each of our lives. For those who are uh, still living outside of the grace of God, where the things that we described earlier still characterize their lives and there's never been any desire to change that. Well, maybe today in hearing your word and the Holy Spirit taking it and allowing it to do its powerful work of bringing conviction, maybe today they've come to the place where they realize that they're outside of the faith, that they're outside of salvation, outside of the grace of God, outside of a relationship with Christ. Maybe they even go to church, but they've just never considered uh, what it really means to have a relationship with God in Christ through his finished work, daily walking by grace. Uh, I pray for them right now that today would be the day that they would walk in that way no longer, but that they would come and they would receive that grace that you have so richly afforded, that grace that where sin abounds, this grace abounds all the more, uh, all because of what Jesus accomplished once and for all on the cross and dying for our sins and then rising from the dead to everlasting life, showing us that death had no victory over him. Without sin, he conquered it. And ultimately, he also demonstrates that there is life beyond the grave that we can enjoy as children of God, bought and paid for by his precious blood. If that's you, I invite you to pray, to receive Jesus yourself, even right now that you would become a child of God and begin to experience the joy of knowing him and walking with him. Hard times come, of course they do, but he walks with you through all of them and you're never, ever alone. And one day you'll see him face to face. If you want to receive Jesus today, if you're ready to receive Jesus today, if you're ready to say, yes, I do believe that Jesus died for my sins and that I want to be born again and I want to leave the old life behind, give me the strength to do this. If you're ready today for this, I invite you to pray with me.
Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I see it in myself, and no doubt you've known it all along. But I confess that to you now, and thank you that you sent your Son to die for my sins, that every last one would be paid for and forgiven, and that I would be free because of that finished work, free of the penalty that I so richly deserve, but by your grace have now been liberated from. Father, I also recognize that I have no strength to overcome these sins that are in my life, this lifestyle that I live in. But I do pray, even as I've heard today, that there is strength in the Holy Spirit, that there is the power to overcome these things as a pattern in my life. And I ask you to help me in this way, so that in following Jesus, I would live a life that demonstrates my love for him, that I would live a life apart from my old sins that so often tripped me up. I want to leave those things behind and follow Jesus without ever turning back. Help me to that end. I believe and I receive your salvation. And I pray now again for the strength to walk with Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for opening up a future and a hope that I don't deserve, but now can look forward to unashamed and unafraid. I love you and thank you for all of this and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have any thoughts or comments, and certainly by all means, if you prayed that prayer, I invite you to let me know that. Uh, It's important that as a new believer that you have a Bible to read, that you read it every day, that you spend time praying. You might be scratching your head saying, well, where do I start reading my Bible and how do I pray? Well, it's, it's... not as complicated as you might be fearing it might be. And so uh, I wanna help you understand what that means. And I want to help you find a good church where you can, uh, where where the pastor believes that the Bible is God's word and will teach it to you so that you can hear these things week in and week out and you can grow in your faith. Of course, you're always welcome to join us in Franklin, Tennessee. If you're around the area, we invite you to come and spend some time with us and grow in your faith alongside of us as we do as well. And, um, and uh, so by all means, let me know that through the comments below. Anyone has a question or comment, you can always do this on our YouTube channel. Or if you're watching this on my personal website at parsonspad.com, you can of course comment there. You can also email me from there as well. Again, at parsonspad.com or our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And, uh, and I'm always very excited to hear from you and love to interact with you online as well. And, and thankfully, we've had a few folks come out and visit us as well. And so you're always welcome to come and, uh, and say hello. And certainly, if you live in the area, to come join our fellowship. And, and uh, we'll go through the word together and as a family in, in Christ. So thanks for watching. And, uh, and God bless you. And we'll catch up with you next time. And the Lord bless you and lead you as you seek to follow him. Amen.